Well, as we come before God, we get to hear his word. Uh, we get to read um, from his word and hear what he has to say to us. Uh, so if you have your Bibles handy, uh, please turn to Colossians. <clears throat> We're going to be reading Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 14. Colossians is a, a wonderful little epistle by Paul. Uh, and I believe I did one sermon from Colossians, uh, the second part of chapter one, uh, a few months ago. Um, but we'll be reading verses one through 14 this morning. So Colossians chapter one, uh, beginning in verse one. This is the word of our God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Sends the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Uh, let's pray as we come before God and ask for his help uh, to understand. Lord, uh, we give thanks for your word because it's a lamp to our feet. Thank you that you have given it to us as a gift. May you work in us by your spirit so that we might understand, that we might um, be challenged to grow in the ways that we pray, and that you might uh, help us, Lord, to pray in a manner pleasing to you, that we might think your thoughts after you and prioritize the right things. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm curious, what do your prayers sound like? When you pray, what, it, what do you pray for? Uh, what are the things that you prioritize? How many times do you pray? How often do you persevere in a single prayer? These are good questions, right, for all of us to ask of our own prayers. Uh, but it assumes something, right? It assumes that prayer is incredibly important. It assumes that prayer is a vital part of our lives. Uh, we pray every time we gather for worship. Right? We pray on our own. We pray with our families. Um, it's hard to imagine a believer who doesn't pray. That doesn't mean that we're all good at it, right? That doesn't mean that we pray enough. It doesn't mean that uh, we 
know what to pray for. But praying and faith uh, seem to go hand in hand. And scripture testifies to this, right? Scripture uh, commands us to pray. It uh, commands us to be prayerful people, to be people who pray regularly and constantly. Uh, and we don't have to look far for scripture to show us example after example of prayers. The Psalms are, are uh, a collection of God's people as they pray to him throughout the ages. And again, God's word in uh, other places like the Gospels. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, I was trying really hard to knock off, <clears throat> but it got to me. Uh, the Gospels, we even have examples of Christ's prayers in the Gospels. We get a little glimpse into the heart of the Lord as he prays for his people. And the apostles, continuing the ministry of Christ, uh, they also continue a ministry of prayer. And through the apostles, through Paul specifically, in this passage in Colossians, uh, the Lord teaches us how to pray. The Lord uses Paul's example here as an apostle uh, to teach us how to pray. <clears throat> now, there's a few things to understand about Colossians before we move forward. Uh, first is that this was not Paul's church. Paul did not plant this church. Someone else did. Epaphras did. Uh, instead, Epaphras plants the church and then comes to Paul and seeks Paul's uh, help and guidance uh, because the church is being attacked by false teaching. And it's not necessarily a problem of theology. <clears throat> Epaphras and Paul seem to think that this is not simply about theology, but this is a problem of spiritual maturity, that the church is susceptible to false teaching because they are not yet spiritually mature. And so whatever these false teachers were teaching, you'll find throughout Colossians that Paul doesn't really address it head on. He will in some ways, but Paul is more concerned with the spiritual maturity of the church. And that's why uh, Paul begins this section by talking about prayer, and specifically his prayer for the Colossian church. Uh, he sees that there is a deficiency because the Colossian church is mostly made up of Gentiles. These are not people who have spent their whole lives studying Moses. These are not people who have grown up listening to prayers uh, in the temples. These are people who carry the baggage of pagan worship, who believe that prayer is, is a means to an end, that it's a way to manipulate a God to your will. And so Paul writes this letter to the Colossian church that's struggling to teach them how to pray. It's as if he's saying, let's go back to some basics. And he doesn't open the letter with rebuke, right? He doesn't say, you guys are not spiritually mature, so I'm going to teach you how to be mature. Instead, he opens it pastorally. He opens it uh, as an apostle of Jesus Christ with the same level of grace and love. And so he says in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our father. So the first thing that Paul says is I'm an apostle by the will of God, which means his will, his word carries authority and weight. And the first thing that he has to say to them is grace to you and peace from God. That's a wonderful pastoral opening. And then Paul continues saying, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And Paul doesn't open with rebuke. He doesn't consent to them, condescend to them. He doesn't patronize them. Instead, 
he says that he thanks God for the Colossian church. He thanks God that they have faith. He thanks God that uh, they love the saints in verse four. And he thanks God that they have heard this word of truth, the gospel in verse five, that it's even bearing fruit in verse six, right? He says, this word of truth, the gospel has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. Paul is not buttering the church up. Instead, he's reminding them where it all began. Why are they here? Why is Paul writing to them? It's because they have heard this word of truth, the gospel. It's because they belong to God, that they have believed. So he's reminding them who they are, who is God, what is the gospel. And then through all of that, showing them that this is the source. It's the Lord and his word. That it's not their own, it's not themselves, not even Paul himself, but the source is God. So if God is the source, right, if God is the one who's working through his word, then that means it's also God's priorities that are shaping the Colossian church. If they belong to God, if that's who they are, then that means God's priorities also have to shape them. And so he thanks God that he's seen evidence of that. But it's also a reminder a reminder that when Paul prays, he is seeking to shape his priorities after God's priorities, and that the Colossian church has to do the same thing. And that's a lesson for us, too, that our priorities in prayer have to be shaped by God's priorities for his people. And how do we know what God's priorities for his people are? Well, then Paul continues in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, there's a, there's a lot there that Paul just said, but notice the priorities. That when Paul prays, first what he says is, we do not cease to pray for you. I think that's a good reminder for the Colossian church that prayer is, is an ongoing thing. It's something that we continue in. And Paul will even say at the end of Colossians that he and Epaphras labor in prayer. That prayer sometimes takes work. Uh, but it's something to persevere in. And that doesn't mean that we need to look at this and say, well, Paul prayed every single moment of every single day, so that's what I have to do. But it is a good reminder that we have to be persistent and persevere. And that means not losing hope when we don't get our answer right away. Uh, and that also means that prayer is, is an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing conversation with the Lord. It's not something that's one and done, and then we check it off the list and say, yeah, I prayed today, all done. But we persevere. We don't cease to pray because it's about our heart. It's about our attitude towards the Lord, especially because prayer is not about us. Because notice what Paul's prayers are about. It's about the Colossian church. Paul's prayers are not about himself. 
not about how he may be glorified or about how he has these desires for the church, but it's about the church. And first Paul gives thanks, right? The first thing that he said is we always thank God for you. So even in his prayers, Paul is rejoicing that God has blessed someone else. It's not about Paul, right? His prayers are not about himself. It's about others. It's about the good of others and rejoicing in the good of others and in seeking the good uh, that the Lord would continue to bless others and that others would grow in spiritual maturity. And that's a good reminder for us, right? How do we pray? Are our prayers about others? Or are our prayers with the overwhelming majority of the time about us and about what we want and about our desires? I think this is a good reminder that our prayers are not supposed to be about us. That doesn't mean we can't ask God for things, but our prayers are first and foremost to be about others, to be selfless, uh, and to give thanks to God. And that's the, the second uh, or third, I guess, thing that we can see from Paul's prayers is that they're dripping with thankfulness. And that what he desires from the Colossian church is that they would emulate this thankfulness. Right in verse 12 or verse 11 and 12, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. See, Paul's desire for the Colossian church is that they would grow in spiritual wisdom, they would grow in understanding God's will, that they would grow in thankfulness. And those are things that will then pour out into the Colossians' own prayers, that their prayers will start to sound more like Paul's, more thankful, more joyful, more patient, more selfless. These are the things that Paul desires to see in the Colossian church. Uh, in essence, these are the, the, the priorities that Paul has for them. Right? His priorities are not that they would be free from sickness, that they would be free from adversity. But his prayers are that they would grow to know God's will, to know God, uh, to bear fruit, to walk in a manner pleasing to God. In essence, it's not to avoid pain or avoid affliction, but to respond to affliction in the right way with faith. That's Paul's priority for the Colossian church. Now, does not mean that we can never ask to be freed from sickness or that we can never ask to be delivered from affliction. But these are the, the priorities of the Lord shown through Paul. Our attitude, not of, of demanding or self-service, but an attitude of thankfulness and of joy. And all of God's people, right, are, are united in this same thing because this giving thanks, where does it come from? Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the thing that unifies God's people. This is the reason that we give thanks, the reason that Paul gives thanks constantly for the Colossian church. It's because the Lord has done this. It's because the Lord has saved them and brought them out of the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of his son. 
And so if we have if we have this to be thankful for, why why are our prayers not constantly about giving thanks to God for what he's done for us? Because if he has really forgiven us of our sins and redeemed us, we could pray for the rest of our lives without sleep, giving thanks for this, and still it would not be enough. But this is how Paul is showing the Colossian church to grow in maturity, that they should pray with more thankfulness. And he wants them to grow in this maturity, to understand the Lord better and deeper. He says that he asks that they be filled with a knowledge of his will, that they be strengthened, that they grow in patience. I think what we see is that uh, the Lord's heart is coming through, uh, through Paul's heart. That these are Paul's priorities for God's people. That means it's God's priorities for his people. And it means it should be our own priorities for our own lives, for the lives of our families. Right? If Paul desires God's people to grow in spiritual maturity and to understand the Lord better, to grow in wisdom, to grow in, in joy, to walk in a manner pleasing to, to God, that's what we should desire of our own lives. That's what we should desire to see in our children's lives, in the lives of our spouses, uh, and in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what we should desire to see in each other that the Lord would continue to strengthen us all uh, to understand his will better, uh, to pray with more thankfulness. And I think when we see Paul's heart, right, we can't help but think uh, about the Lord's heart and Jesus's heart. We can't help but think about how, how Jesus prayed for God's people. Uh, and he prayed back in John 17, uh, what's often called the high priestly prayer. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Or like how Paul doesn't pray that the Colossian church would be freed from false teachers. He prays that they would grow in spiritual maturity to be able to endure the trial of false teachers so Jesus prays the same thing, not that his people would be taken out of the world and removed from all affliction, but that they would be kept safe through the affliction, through the trial, that God would give them the strength to endure. See, Paul gets his heart from Jesus. His heart of prayer for the Colossian church is the same heart of the Lord Jesus, because he learned it from the great high priest. You learned thankfulness from a savior who was constantly thankful. He learned how to pray from Jesus. And Jesus's prayer is just like his life. We're always about the good of others, always about how to grow, how uh, to bless others and that others might grow uh, in maturity and in faith. And the amazing thing, right, is that in his life, Jesus used all of his energy, all of his time for the good of his people, and he's still doing that. Even now, Hebrews says that Jesus is interceding on your behalf to the Father. That even now, Jesus is praying a prayer that probably sounds a lot like Colossians 1 to God the Father on your behalf. I think that reminds, that shows us that 
we have a reason to pray. It's not because our prayers are enough, right? It's not, we don't have certainty that God will answer us because we will have the right words or because we will pray for the right things. We have certainty that God will answer prayers because we have a a savior who always lives to intercede for his people. And as we are reminded in our own prayers that because we have a savior who has delivered us out of the domain of darkness, God will always answer us. And in fact, there's an example that happens every single worship service that reminds us that God answers prayers, that God hears the prayers of his people. Uh, and it's the benediction. At the end of every worship service, we close with God's words of response. And what are those words of response? It's a word of blessing to his people. It's as if we end every service with God saying, I hear your prayers and my response is to bless you. And that's a wonderful way to end every worship service, to hear that God knows, that God has heard our prayers, and that his response in Christ is yes and amen. That is a wonderful comfort. And so may we grow in our own prayers. May we uh, have the same priorities as God in our prayers. And may we sound more like Jesus when we pray every, every day. May we grow in that. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you uh, for your amazing grace. We thank you that you've done so much for us. And answering our prayers is just a, a small, another way that you remind us that you love us, that we belong to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for ever living to intercede for us. May you send your spirit into our hearts that we might grow in our prayers, that our prayers may grow to be less about us and more about you and more about others, and that we might uh, give thanks always for what you've done in our lives and the lives of our families and the lives of our church. We pray all of this in your precious name. Amen.